going to start a new series with you, just three weeks long, but it's exciting to me because this is a passage of Scripture, actually a verse of Scripture that I've read many, many times, and every time I read this passage, I'm kind of stopping my tracks, but yet I've never taught on it, and I'm excited to teach on it over the next three weeks. But first, I, I, I want to blow your minds. Are you ready for this? Ready? The, I don't know if you're ready. You ready? All right, get ready for this now. I'm going to blow your mind. The Bridge Church is a Christian church. <laughs> I'm messing with you a little bit. <laughs> but what does that mean? What is a Christian church? What is a Christian? Well, Jesus simplified this whole idea of Christianity for us. He actually told us there are two keys to Christianity. And they're shared in a couple of places in the gospel. We're going to look at Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. The first one is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's, that's the first key to Christianity. It's about loving God. And I love this as with all your heart because that designates the most intimate of relationships we have, don't we? We don't say that just to anyone. We say that to people we dearly love, we hold in high esteem. Our spouses, our children, our, our best friends, our moms, our dads. We say, I love you with all my heart. And that's how God wants us to love him, with all of our heart, because that's how he loves us. This is with all of our soul. And it's so easy to gloss over that, but that is so important. What does that mean, to love God with our soul? That means to trust him with our eternal destiny. To trust him. The thing that's eternal about us is our soul. The thing that is eternal about us is our spirit. And it means to trust God with our soul. And we do that through our faith in Jesus Christ. Since when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that's trusting God with our soul. Because we're saying, God, you are the only way. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through you. And I believe that. I'm trusting that. I'm betting my eternal destiny on that. And see, that's loving God with our soul. Then with our mind and with our strength. And we're going to look a little bit more in depth at those. The second one, Jesus continued right off the bat. And he says, now here's the second key to Christianity. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, there are no greater commandment than these two commandments. So what is Christianity about? Love God, love others. Say that with me. Love God, love others. That's simple. Christianity is simple. Now, how we do that is all about religion. Religion is the vehicle that we use to carry out our Christianity, to carry out loving God, to carry out loving others. Webster defines religion as a cause, principle, a system of belief held to with ardor and faith. In other words, it's something we elect to believe in so much that we give it all, our all. That's ardor. That we, we, we give it our, we, we aggressively pursue it. And we hold it in faith. Because not everything about our religion, not everything about loving God and loving others is necessarily appealing. It's not easy, that's for sure, is it? And we believe God when God says, this is what 
I'm all about. This is what Christianity is all about, is loving me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's a lot. That's everything about us. He says, I want you to love me with everything you've got. He says, I want you to love others with everything you've got, too. See, that takes faith. That takes faith. Now, what I want to talk about over the next three weeks is religion that is pure and faultless. I'm so excited to share this with you. I'm excited because just studying for myself has, has helped me to grow in, in my understanding of Scripture, in my relationship with God. And, and prayerfully, it's going to help me to grow in my practice of my faith. And I'm excited to share it with you because it, it's going to open some new doors and some new understandings and some new opportunities to you so that you can, you can feel better about your relationship, more secure, more affirmed in your relationship with carrying out Christianity, loving God and loving others. So, religion that is pure and faultless, what does that look like? Well, the half-brother of Jesus, his name is James, who initially didn't believe his own brother was the Messiah, by the way, ultimately came to faith after Jesus' death and resurrection that Jesus was Messiah. In fact, he became a leader of the Christian movement in Jerusalem. In his New Testament letter, that bears his name, in chapter 1, verse 27, James says this, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. One verse. You know, we just finished an entire series on looking at Paul's letter to the Colossians, and it took us nine weeks to do that. Well, to show you how rich Scripture is, we're going to take three weeks just on this one verse because it's so profound, and it's going to equip us to really understand God and God's heart more than maybe some of us have ever had, or at least in new ways that we've never considered it before. So religion that's pure and faultless. Now, going back to James' formula in James 1.27, he first says religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Now, that is such an important qualifier. See, because there's all kinds of religious expressions out there. There's all kinds of religions out there. There's all kinds of philosophy of, of man, philosophy of humanity. But there's only one that counts. What counts to God, right? Because God is God. God is the one who ultimately controls our eternal destiny along with our eternal reward. And so we're not talking about just any faith that's pure and faultless. We're talking about religion that is pure and faultless as accepted by God. That's an important qualifier. How many of you want your religious expression to be accepted by God? Amen. Otherwise, we're wasting our time, right? What are we doing? So I'm going to work back to front over these next three weeks. So Luke 16, 15 says, He said to them, Pharisees, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your heart. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. In other words, it's so important that we understand that we do this according to what God accepts because there's a lot of different religious movements, and the Pharisees were religious people, that God actually detests the way that they're trying to to serve and to have religion and experience that role of their life. So this is what God accepts. 
First of all, I want to look at today to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I want to look at that first. I want to go back to the front because this is what we would ima- our minds would immediately go to. And it's really important because this is a very important part of religion that God accepts, is to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. So today, in the first week, I want to talk about pollution prevention. How do we get polluted by the world? I want to share three ways today. Three, three sources that bring pollution into our life that God wants us to be separated from. The first is financial pollution. Financial pollution. 1 Timothy 6.10, Paul writes, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In other words, say people have polluted themselves with the love of money. People get so obsessed with making money that they, they turn all of their energy, all their effort, all their time is to make more money, make more money, make more money. I, I've known people that have been associated here at the, at the bridge who have had one, two, three jobs, not always out of necessity, but sometimes just because they had so many wants, so many desires, so many things that they wanted to have, whether it was a, a big portfolio or whether it was a new boat or a new car or, or whatever, that they were working themselves to death to earn the money to get the things they want in this life. Now, Paul records the result of that. First of all, they wander from the faith. Sometimes I'll see people, I said, man, I haven't seen you in a long time. Where have you been? Oh, Pastor, I picked up another job. You know, we're, we're trying to save up for this vacation. I picked up, I've just, just been working every day, and I just happened to get off this week. And, and, and I'm thinking, something's wrong with this picture, right? Now, the end result is cause and effect is when we do that and we get so obsessed with money, and earning money, that we wander away from the faith. Now we're not attending church, we're not attending life group, we're not really in devotions, we're exhausted because we're working all the time to make more money. And, and by the way, it's never enough. I think it was J.C. Penney, somebody asked, how much is enough? His answer was, a little bit more. A little bit more, right? I mean, you start chasing that rabbit, you're never going to stop. Then he says, and they pierce themselves with many griefs. Why? Because the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. See, ultimately, we work so hard and get to the end of life, and we, we spend our whole life in pursuit of material gain and money and stuff like that, and then we look back and we go, what happened? What just happened? And life is over. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Yeah. See, that's where it starts. We already have so much. We here in the United States, we've got so much. We don't know what to do with it. And yet we want more. So be content. Don't be obsessed. There's nothing wrong with making a living. There's nothing wrong with accumulating wealth. God made some people in the Bible very wealthy. But it shouldn't be our passion. It shouldn't be our sole focus. Second kind of pollution is spiritual pollution. Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16, says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are not in conflict, or they are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want to do. Another way that we get polluted by the world is trying to keep one foot in the world and one foot in 
our pursuit of the kingdom of Christ. See, we, we, we want to be equally in both, and oftentimes we're more in the world than we are in the kingdom. And, and that pulls us away from God because those things are not, are not complementary. They war against each other, and they cause us to war against. They cause our spirit to be un, un, in a state of unrest because we can't live in both worlds. We've got to choose which one is the most important to us. Pastor John Piper said, walking by the Spirit is what we do when the desires produced by the Spirit are stronger than the desires produced by the flesh. What does he mean? He means this is a check and balance system here. He says, here's what we're going to know when we're out of balance, is if the desires to fulfill the things of the flesh are stronger than the desires to fulfill the things of the Spirit. So he says, that's a check and balance system that we can use. If Everything I'm thinking about, all my time, all my resources, all my thoughts are invested in things that satisfy my cravings, what I want out of life, and very little. I got a little check in the box. I, yeah, I, I go to mass. I go to church on Sunday once. You know, if everything's out of imbalance, when, 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 G, when God said, key number one, Christianity is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your mind, all your strength, all your what? Everything, Right? He said, go all in. And when God's got this little, little space in our life, that's what Piper's saying. He said, he said which one's driving how you spend your time? Which one's driving how you, how you use your financial resources? Which one's driving how you, you, you serve? Which one is that? It, it, we get them out of balance, see? Paul writes in Romans 8, 5, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. See, where do we have our mind? What do we think most about? What do we plan most about? What do we look forward to most? Are they the things of the Spirit? Did you get up today and decide to come to church and say, oh, man, I don't know if I want to go to church today. Maybe I won't go today. Maybe I'll, I'm tired. I'll sleep in. Or maybe I'm going to go, you know. If we came here going dragging here, then we probably got things out of balance. If we're giving because of some sense of obligation, we probably got things out of balance. If we're serving because... Our friend serves, and we just want to spend some more time. We probably got things out of balance. See, what's our mindset on? That's why he writes in Romans 12, too. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because it's what we focus our minds on. It's what we fill our minds with that is going to determine our behavior and going to determine whether we are progressing in our relationship with God or whether we're recessing in our relationship with God. So spiritual pollution, trying to live in both worlds, they're not compatible. It'll never work. The third is the one I want to spend the most time on this morning, in the time that we have left, and it's cultural pollution. Because that's where I think so much of our pollution comes from today. And the world that we live in is from culture. 2 Timothy 4.3, Paul writes, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a number of teachers, this is a what, a great number of teachers, by the way, to say what their itching ears want to hear. Wow. This is so descriptive of the day, the time that we live in. 
You know, my heart, every, every, it seems like almost every week now, somebody comes to me, and Pastor Barnabas is really good about this. He really keeps up on this stuff. And he'll come and tell me about another church that all of a sudden has changed their, their, their Christian theology. They've cra- changed their doctrine. And now they're, they're accepting this or accepting that. And, and, and it's because we want a religion that is convenient for the lifestyle that we want to live. We want a religion that allows us to express ourselves any way that we want to express ourselves. See, but the problem is, James is talking about pure religion, faultless religion, religion that is acceptable to God. Proverbs says several times, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. See, that's what we're talking about here. People, people want preachers and they want teachers to teach them and to rationalize whatever lifestyle they want to live and not hold true to what God says. Doug Britton says this, We are assaulted by non-Christian opinions and often adopt them as our own without realizing. That's the problem, see. It's not that we sit down and go, You know what, I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to believe that anymore. It's more like the frog in the kettle. You know that illustration, right? That, that analogy where you put a frog in the kettle and of water and just turn up the gas degree by degree. That frog will stay in that kettle and eventually be burned alive because it doesn't notice it because it's such a subtle change. That's what happens to us because we're immersed in culture. That it's bleeding off on us and we don't even realize it because we hear all these opinions that sound just. They sound right. They sound good but they're not based on a biblical worldview. And we, we just start believing. I have periodically, I'm thankful it's not a lot, but it has happened. But I will say that in my 23 years here as your pastor, it's increased. People come and say, well, Pastor, we're not going to attend the bridge anymore. Really, why? What, why? what happened? Did I do something? Did I offend you or anything like that? You know? And they'll say, no, no, no. Say, we're just not in step with some of the things the bridge teaches I say, well, can you give me an example? And so they'll start saying things. And I don't remember an occasion with something they said that they no longer agree with was not culturally motivated, was not societally motivated. It was because something that society now accepts, culture now accepts. And so, you know, I don't, and you know what I always say? Well, I say, okay, well, hey, let's do this. Can we do this? Would you take me up on this? Would you prepare a biblical defense of that position and bring it to me? And let's sit down and talk about it. I've never once had anyone take me up on that. Right? Right? We must learn to carefully evaluate everything. We see, we hear, we read. We've got to evaluate these things, folks. You know, if we really want to be advancing in, the, in our, our productivity and our relationship with God, and, and, and that will bring us joy, by the way. If we want to do that, then we've got to evaluate the influences we're inviting into our life. Let me give you five ways to do that. First, when you're contemplating or hearing an opinion or something sounds like, number one, how does it match up to the Bible? Remember I just said, when people would come to me, I'd say, well, give me a biblical defense of that position. Show me in the Bible where, where, where," and see, most people can't. 
many people come up to me and, and they'll say, Pastor, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think about that? And I'll say, well, what does the Bible say about that? And they'll kind of look down and get that you know, kind of sheepish smile. They know what the answer is. The Bible's already been clear on that. People try to get me to rationalize lifestyles that they want to live or, or, or decisions that they want to make. As their pastor's saying, well, my pastor said it's okay. Well, I, if I even said okay, what does that mean if the Bible says contrary? Because my word is not God's word. God's word is God's word, and that's the word we need to follow. What's the Bible say about it? Second, would Jesus be pleased by it? The little bracelet, right? What would Jesus do? I love that. That was a, that was a great movement. I think some are still wearing those. But whenever I get to a situation, i got to make a decision. i got to choose a lifestyle. i got to choose a, a, a philosophy, a worldview. What, what, what would Jesus do? Would Jesus be pleased by this? Now, if you want to ratchet that up a more, three, would I invite Jesus to do it with me? How about that, huh? Huh? I think I'm going to go with my friends. We're going to go here tonight. Okay, well, would you bring Jesus with you there? Huh? Is he welcome to come along? Huh? Well, at work, you know, everyone who's really making any money, they're kind of cutting corners and they're misrepresenting the product and all that. Well, if you were selling that product to Jesus, would you misrepresent it? See, what would Jesus do? And would you invite Jesus along? You know, you know what? In fact, in reality, those of us who are believers, we've trusted Christ as our Savior, we are bringing Jesus into everything that we do. Because Scripture says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That means wherever we go, whatever we do, whatever we see, whatever we read, whatever we, however we're actually exposing God himself to that behavior. Four. Is it possible it might lead to sinful thoughts or actions? Sometimes we haven't even done anything yet, but we're allowing influences into our life that can potentially get us to start some stinking thinking. And once stinking thinking sets in, it often moves us to stinking behavior. So th this is just a point, you know, as we're evaluating everything, okay, on the surface, this isn't something necessarily that, that, that is biblically forbidden, but is it a source that can begin to get my mind thinking in a non-biblical way? Is it something that down the road might get me to begin behaving in a way? Say, am I opening myself up to temptation? Maybe that's the easiest way to put it. Fifth, does it push me away from God? Actually, you can say it either way. Does it draw me towards God or does it push me away from God? These relationships, these behaviors, these extra activities, the alternative lifestyles. Are they drawing me to God? Or are they pushing me away God? Am, am I more prone lately to go, you know what, I, I'm not going to go to church. You know what, Pastor Pete's just not doing a, a series that's interesting enough to me. You know, you know what, what, what are we doing? How are we making our decisions? We need to evaluate. See, James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. We can't do what it says if we're not evaluating where it's at in our life. So, assignment number one, personal application for this week. Sometime this week, once you do it, not right now, but it's in your notes. Number one, what are the major non-Christian influences in my life? What are those major non-Christian influences? Technology, work, certain relationships, what are they? Just list them. And then evaluate their effect 
on you using the previous five questions we just talked about. What does the Bible say about it? What would Jesus think about it? Would you invite Jesus to do it? Does it open up my mind to, to possible uh, ungodly thoughts or behaviors? Is it pushing me away from God? Got to evaluate everything. But just as importantly as evaluating everything, we also need to evaluate everyone that we hear, that we see, that we read. Let me ask you, who are your role models? Maybe role models is too strong. Maybe heroes and role models is too strong. But who are, who are celebrities or who are, uh, you know, athletic figures and all that that you just you know, really, really are interested in and that you follow, you know, TV personalities, uh, actors, actresses, athletes, uh, whoever, you name it, celebrities out there, people that, that really, you listen to a lot of their music, you read a lot of their books, you go to a lot of their movies. Okay, who are those people? So write the names of those people down this week. Just say, man, I love to listen to this artist. I love to read these books. I love on social media, this, this is who I follow. This is who, who I tweet with and all this kind of stuff. Write all that stuff down. Think as many as you can. Be exhaustive in the list. And then draw lines through any that you think even potentially be, can become a bad influence on you. Someone, after the first service I shared this, and a lady came up to me, she goes, man, you're not going to believe this. I was just thinking about this today. And I was thinking about it, and she gave me the name of the person and a song. And she said, I was thinking, man, those lyrics aren't exactly godly lyrics. See, and if I take a little bit of somebody who is way out of where God's standards are, then I take a little of this one, 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 what happens? All of a sudden, I'm, I'm saturating myself with non-biblical worldviews. And then I wonder why I don't feel fulfilled and secure and peaceful in my relationship with Christ. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 says, Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. We need to associate with the world, but our association with the world needs to be to draw them to Christ, not to allow them to draw us away from Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verse 19 says, Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. So we're often enamored and following and allowing influence into our life from people who are not godly at all. But man, they got a good beat. I like the song. I like the book. I like the movie. See, our citizenship, Paul reminds us, is in heaven. And we eagerly, oh, I don't think we do that enough. I'm just stung by that right now, just, just reading that. Am I e that eager? We eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's, that's where our eternity is. That's what we're really all about. We, we are spiritual beings living a physical experience. That's what we are. One day, we're going to live that eternal experience. That's who I am. That's who you are in Christ. Finally, in that, write down the name of some people whose example you would like to follow. Who do you need to replace some of those people on the first list with? We have some new people. Maybe you need to investigate. Maybe you need to, to do a little inquiry and say, hey, you know, 
Who are you reading? Who are you listening to? You know, to, to some other believers who you think are really on track and say, what are you doing? Who are you listening to? Who are you allowing to influence your life? And begin to choose sources that are going to help you to move forward, not draw you away. You've got to evaluate everyone. You've got to evaluate everything. James 1.27 says, Religion that our God, the, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless, number one, is to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. First John 2.17 says, the world and its desires pass away. Oh, I wish every one of us, including me, could embrace that more than we do. This is the only experience we know. And we want to hang on to it. We want so much out of it. But all this is going to pass away. That house that we live in, that car that we drive, all the, it's all gone. We're not taking any of it into eternity. And remember, no matter how many years we have here, you know, some, some it's far too short. Others get into their later years. We have several birthdays in the church this week. Joe Galovich turned 79 last Monday. Stanley Murray, chairman of our deacons, turned 70 Thursday. Bev Hill, it's her, her birthday this week. She turned, I'm not going to say. <laughs> She's proud of it, though. But, you know, this is short. And Bev and Joe and Stanley, and I'll tell you that the more of the white hair we get, I'm telling you, weeks are going by like days now for me in my life. Months are going by like week used to go by. It's November Friday. How is that possible? It's all going to be over soon. But the man who does the will of God lives, say it with me, forever. Forever. See, forever. Now, what is forever? It's a long time. We can't even contemplate it because we're based on a finite experience. But forever and ever 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 and now we've just begun. See? Pollution prevention. God loves you. You love God or you wouldn't be here. And so... God has graciously, through James, told us a religion to follow that is acceptable to him. And the one that we would expect and the one we talk about more than the other ones that we're going to talk about is making sure we stay pollution-free. Let's just do a check and balance today. Just say, okay, I'm doing okay in this area. I can beef it up in this area. Let's do it all to the glory of the Lord, because we, as his children, want to embrace that religion that is pure and faultless. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you that you love us so much that you, you're honest with us, and you're out there, and you, you, you don't just say, good luck, and we'll see you in the end, but you give us guidance every step of the way. You tell us what Christianity is. It's love you, it's love others. That's, that's, that's not hard to understand. It's hard to live. It's not hard to understand. And then you tell us some ways to pursue that. In this case, 
Do everything we can to stay free from being polluted by, by our culture, by the world around us, so that we stand for you because you, you have a purpose for us, and that is to reach others for Christ. And if we're blending in with the world, if we're becoming part of the world, how are we going to be any different and show people there's a different way and a different hope? God, use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.